stand this morning. Again, I'm so grateful that you're here this morning. We love you guys. So glad you're here. If you're watching the live stream, we're glad you're watching as well and hopefully engaging in this amazing time to be in the presence of the Lord. I want to just point out uh, three ways to give. Um, you would know them well, but if you have an opportunity to be a blessing to Southwoods and to those ministries that Southwoods is part of, uh, you can come in person, you can do it online, you can do it through the mail, lots of ways to be a blessing. So thank you for that. And I want to take a moment for us to turn around and say hi to each other. you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's been gone, all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up from an empty grave Ain't no sinner that he can't save Let me tell you about my Jesus His love is strong and his grace is free The good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me Let me tell you about my Jesus Let my Jesus change your life
our time of worship by um, coming to the table of the Lord for communion. If you haven't had a chance to go back and get your um, emblems, this would be a great time to do that. But let me tell you about my Jesus. Amen? We just sang about it. This is our time to say thank you because of what he's done. What he's done on the cross to save our lives and our souls, to save our minds and our hearts, our physical bodies to provide for us all the things that he's done on the cross. He did for us. And we have an opportunity to say thank you. And when we leave this place today, we have an opportunity to take it with us. And I hope we do that. So let's pray. We're going to take communion and we're going to say thank you. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful to you this morning. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for what you continue to do because I know you pray for us. I know that you intercede for us because the Bible says you do. Thank you that your shed blood and your broken body allowed us a place with you. That our hearts, Lord, long for that place. We long for that opportunity to come and be with you. And Lord, in the meantime, help us to be the lights that are shining, the lights that make a difference, the lights that light up the darkness. Help us to be those things. We love you. We praise you. We bless you for this opportunity to be in your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Why are you crying? This sudden question may have startled her, or perhaps her grief and sadness had left her too numb to be startled. Why are you crying? It's one of those questions that that even if asked with genuine concern, uh, compassion, it's one of those questions that is an awkward intrusion on someone weeping beside a loved one's grave. Why are you crying? The truth be told, the woman whom Jesus Christ was asking had many reasons to cry throughout her life. Her name is Mary. Jesus knew lots of Marys. Must have been a common name in his day. His mom was Mary. Several good friends. In particular, you might remember the sister of Lazarus and uh, Martha. She was Mary. Others as well. The Mary that we're going to read about today from the Bible is Mary Magdalene, or sometimes called Mary of Magdala. I kind of think those tag-ons went on her name to try to help identify her among the many Marys that were part of Jesus' life. This is often is the case when someone's mentioned in the Bible. There's not much we know about Mary Magdalene. You may have heard of her because many cynics over the years have unkindly attributed all kinds of dubious traits to her. But we're going to read some passages from the Bible today, starting with one in Luke chapter 8, that I hope will give us a little more of a truthful picture of who Mary Magdalene is. In Luke chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, we read this story. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Mary Magdalene was an important follower and a financial supporter of the mission of Jesus and his disciples throughout his, his three-year public ministry. Well, that's, that's who she became. Before encountering Jesus, we're told Mary's life was on a very different course. She had been living under the influence of evil spirits. We're told seven demons held sway in her life. And sometimes the Bible seems intolerably brief about some subjects, doesn't it? We have so much more curiosity about what that might have meant in her situation. In fact, it may surprise some of us just to read something like that in the Bible, that it's mentioned so naturally when referring to this woman, when it's referring to the team that is traveling around in the Jesus tour I thought, marketing people, that probably wouldn't be something we'd put in the brochure as Jesus tours coming to your town, right? But they are very uh, practical as they write about the truth of what was going on in people's lives in Scripture. We don't talk about such beings much in our culture, do we? Our ears kind of perk up when our mission friends come back from Africa or Asia or the Middle East with stories about demonic involvement in people they know 
but not here in KC, not in our Western world. We think of ourselves as, as scientifically enlightened people, which, which means we attribute everything we can to the physical, to material causes, and ancient accounts of the demonic tend to get ignored or met with skepticism. Let me just tell you, as we read her story this morning, let me give you a word of caution. We can be too quick to assume away the presence of spiritual evil in our world and in our own lives. So let's not broad brush every uh, ancient account of the demonic as simply mislabeled mental illness at the time or an as-yet-unknown disease that our modern medicine or our modern, modern counseling could resolve. The wisest person who ever lived, Jesus Christ, spoke often about and often encountered the personal presence of evil. Satan is mentioned frequently in his life, and Satan's cohorts, the demons, the evil spirits, whatever, they want to, whatever we want to call them. Jesus knows... He knew then and he knew now as reality what we in our day are maybe in inevitable danger of ignoring or trying to wish away. What might this have meant in Mary's life? What might the influence of demons have meant for her? Well, sadly, we're not told much. But when we walk through both the Old and New Testament, there are numerous stories of how the evil one and evil spirits took tolls on people's lives. The word that's used most common is interesting. It's a verb. It says the people were demonized. The people were demonized. Thankfully, Jesus and his followers became widely known, literally became famous, because they had the power to set people free from such things. Some of these stories are quite dramatic, that fit neatly into a horror movie script right now. We read about two demonized men in one part of scripture. They were so brutal, so violent, that they couldn't even be restrained within their community with chains. And we're told the demons, the demons drove them to isolation, that they lived lonely, solitary lives in all places in the place of the dead, the tombs in their community. One of the men howled like an animal, Another one is said to have used stones to cut himself till the blood flowed, and demons even spoke through one of them. That's probably one of the more dramatic examples. We also read other ones that were more common. Jesus met a young man. His dad brought him to get some help who had been troubled by demons since childhood with seizure-like events. And the dad said, the demon often takes my boy and throws him into the water or into the fire to try to kill him. We read another story of how Jesus healed a woman who was physically impaired. She had been bound by Satan, was the word that Jesus used. She was physically bent over and was unable to straighten herself up for 18 long years. Don't know if any of these things were what Mary experienced. But what we know as we read through scripture is these unseen beings, these demons are driven to bring suffering and anguish, to bring torment into the lives of individuals and to interfere with God's good purposes in our lives. That's what evil does. Evil never brings joy. 
never brings goodness to us. It sometimes offers kind of an untethered short-term happiness for us, a temporary thrill of some kind, but the results of evil in our life is always degrading. It's always debilitating, destructive. It results in deep sadness in our souls. I would imagine that's what Mary had been experiencing. Perhaps some of us feel that oppression at times, the oppression of evil in our lives, and we can't figure it out. Maybe we've attributed it to some bad choices we've made along the way. There are indications in Scripture that sometimes we do contribute. Other times, there's just no way to tell. It's difficult to discern from Scripture what brings these influences into our life. I found it interesting that some passages hint at what gives Satan a foothold in our lives. Unresolved anger. Isn't that interesting? That's one of the things I've had to work on over the years. Unresolved anger. Unwillingness to forgive others. Clear rejection of God's boundaries and his laws. All of those things are said to maybe give the evil one in the presence of evil a little foothold in our lives. What is clear from scripture, is that we can experience what Mary Magdalene did. We don't have to live in fear. We can experience the same freedom she did when she came to know Jesus. Mary was literally saved from the evil one, is the way that reads, and her response was wonderful. It was a response of gratitude. It's one we should all emulate She didn't have the the evil cast out of her life and then say, thank you, Jesus, I'm on my way. No, she decided to go all in with that little traveling team. She joined with the 12 disciples and did the preaching and teaching team tour to journey with them, to help serve them, to join with other people that were willing to share their financial resources so that the team Jesus could devote themselves fully to his ministry endeavors. Mary became what we call around Southwoods, it's in our mission statement, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you were here on July 4th, our student pastor Cody Shepard did a real nice talk and he talked about what's it look like when we do that, when we fully commit ourselves to God. You can listen to that, they put the podcast out on the website. Cody used words like reverence. Submission, devotion requiring action. That one really caught my eye. Reverence, submission, devotion requiring action. And those kind of characteristics became hallmarks of Mary's life in her relationship with Jesus. What did that mean for her? How did that change her? What were the results in Mary's life as a result of that? Well, life became filled with meaning and purpose for her. She became part of this continuous environment of of learning from the great teacher, of being challenged to grow personally and in her relationship with God, of knowing the joy of serving other people instead of just herself. They were assisting needs in their community and nation that were desperately in need of help. Have you gotten to experience life that way? That kind of abundant 
life. Maybe you have felt that way with some real good stretches in your family time. Or maybe you've had great success at work and you think you felt some of that kind of really good feeling like things are clicking. Maybe you felt part of the connection and the team here at church or at your church. And these kind of characteristics help you imagine what that environment around the rabbi Jesus must have felt like for Mary and the others. So much joy. So much hope for the future as he showed himself more and more to be the promised Messiah, the hope of the the entire nation of Israel. Mary experienced an abundant life in ministry with Jesus and his disciples. She hoped it would go on forever. And that's about all we know of her for quite a while in the Bible until we get to the end of Jesus' life. Why are you crying, Mary? That question came early, early on a Sunday morning after the events that I'm about to read to you took place on Friday preceding. I've excerpted some passages from Matthew 27. It's about the death by crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Let me read this to you. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. And many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were watching from a distance. Among them, here she is was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Not only had she followed him, but Mary was present at the death of Jesus. She was also present, uh, a witness to his rather hurried burial. Let me read this little part from you. This is interesting. As Jesus had passed away on the cross, it says, As evening approached, Joseph a rich man from Arimathea who had, became a, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate, and Pilate was the, the Roman representative, the Roman ruler at that time, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left, Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. Mary's right there during these incredible moments right at the end of our Lord's life. She's witnessed this devastating tragedy, the arrest, the torture, the execution of her master and teacher, the death of all of her hopes for the future, for all of them. She saw the place where he was buried. She saw the kindness of this rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, as he provides Jesus a burial place on Friday evening. That was the, the, as the sun goes down in that culture, the beginning of the Saturday Sabbath is taking place where the Jewish people are not permitted to work. So if they had not hurriedly taken Jesus down, 
they would have ended up leaving his corpse on, the, on that cross for another 24 hours. And that was not acceptable, thankfully, to Joseph. Mary carefully noted the location of the tomb. And as the sun was setting, finally, she made her way to wherever she was staying nearby. And then comes the best part of the whole story. It's in John chapter 20. Reads like this, early on Sunday morning while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. And then parenthetically, the author adds, for until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And then she's asked, dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her, because they have taken away my Lord. She replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Why are you crying, Mary? How how did she answer? How could she have answered? Mary isn't crying for herself. She doesn't say, you know, I had these seven demons that were just tormenting me and ruined my life. And Jesus was the one that rescued me. He was the one that they feared. But now he's gone. I felt safe with him. But now I'm afraid they'll come back at any moment. That's not why Mary's crying. She doesn't say, I've been so traumatized by the violence I've witnessed against Jesus, the way they brutalized him, tortured him, crucified him. And then even after he had died, you'll remember in one of the stories, they pierced his body with a spear just to make sure, just to make sure he was not around anymore. I'm crying because all this was so upsetting to me. That's not, that's not why Mary's crying. She doesn't cry because the band of followers she has committed herself to, sharing life for quite a time with them, has come undone. Those who seem to be destined to be leaders beside Jesus as this ministry of the Messiah went forward had proved themselves to be cowards under pressure, denying even knowing him, when faced with just the smallest of a Roman force. Why is Mary crying? It's real simple for her. She can't find his body. This was going to be her time to just bring one final act of devotion to the man she had committed so much to. She had watched carefully where the tomb was located so she would know how to make her way back there. And at the first moment... Before the sun even came up that Sunday morning, at the first moment she possibly could, she was there, wanting to provide him one last dignity, to let him experience the full, his body experience the full um, burial customs of their culture and lay him to rest in peace. And now that had been taken from her, it seemed. The, The emotion just came. It was just overwhelming to her. The tears flowed. 
So deep is Mary's sadness that she can't find the body of Jesus that she's not even very impressed by the fact that it's a couple supernatural beings that asked her the question for the first time. And those of us who have lost a loved one, we we get that. We get that numbness. It's not religious words or some religious experience that helps during that time. We, We just want our loved one back. And Mary can't even get a sense of what's happened there, that these angels are speaking to her. And then comes the shock of her life, a moment she could never have imagined. And I love the way this unfolds in John chapter 20, verse 14. It says, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher, don't cling to me. Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. And that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Mary's love and devotion to Jesus just reengaged at a whole new level that she could never have imagined previously. But he has that odd little thing that he says to her at that time. Let me ask you, was her devotion well-placed? Sometimes we see in organizations the little people, the ones who do all the behind-the-scenes work, um, maybe taken for granted a little bit by those they serve. Is that what Jesus is communicating there when he says, hey, uh, Mary, don't cling to me right now? I think something else of greater importance may be taking place right there that actually shows the great value and worth that Jesus placed on Mary that's, that's even more noteworthy in that culture where women were often thought of as less. We won't go too far into the theological weeds here, but, but something big was happening in the spiritual realm as Jesus was coming out of the grave. We read in Hebrews that Jesus' indestructible life qualified him as high priest of heaven and as a sacrifice of atonement in the holy of holies of heaven. Let me read this brief section from Hebrews, and you'll see what I mean. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. 
and God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There's way more in there than we'll talk about today. If you're interested, we can talk about it afterwards. But suffice to say that in the middle of the most significant event in history, when Jesus is literally on his way from the grave to fulfill his mission in heaven to make atonement and secure the eternal salvation for all of us, in the middle of all that, he stops. He interrupts so that he can change his friend Mary's tears into joy. And because he's in that role as high priest, he needs to be separate from the ones that he's going to be providing uh, atonement for. So that's what that moment is. Don't cling to me. That's what he's expressing there. I've got this mission to complete as a high priest. But he's got a dear friend that's grieving, And he responds. He just has to. That's the kind of humble, servant-hearted God that we have, that he cares about the one, even in the middle of the most significant event. Mary goes to the tomb at her lowest. She's overwhelmed at losing her dear Messiah. She just wants to provide some last moments of reverent care. And all of a sudden, he's right before her. And death is overcome by life. Life overcame all of that. Jesus is alive. So I hope things are going well in your life right now. Like the old poem says, that the winds are always at your back. I'm hoping that you're getting to experience life right now, maybe the way Jesus and his disciples did when he was on his tour, walking around. But life's not always that way, is it? Sometimes, sometimes we cry. Sometimes life is very heavy because evil stalks us. We don't want to think about that, but evil stalks us. Death stalks us. Death may stalk you and I slowly. It may be way out there in the future as far as we know. Or you may be having to encounter that a lot sooner than you thought. And you feel a pressure. Maybe you feel the presence of evil. And it's left you crying. There's good news. Jesus has overcome all that. Things don't have to stay that way in our lives. Evil did its worst to Jesus, and he totally flipped the script. The clear victory of evil was turned into his greatest victory through his death on the cross, his resurrection back to life, and his ascension to God the Father. I don't know if you're feeling that kind of pressure, but Jesus is our source of freedom. He's our source of true life, the life we have here and the life we have for eternity that he secured with us in the the heavenly places. When Cody mentioned reverence and submission and devotion that leads to action, that's the response Jesus would like to have from us. Mary responded that way out of the gratitude of her heart. Will we not only accept his gift of freedom, 
but will we have that same response of gratitude? That's what Mary Magdalene witnessed from start to finish. And she shared it with his friends. She, she shared it with us all. You know, a thought came to me as I read through this story. I thought about that moment for, for me when it's going to come time to pass from death, from life to death. Maybe you've thought about that for yourself as well. What will it be like in that moment? I thought maybe it'll feel like we'll be at our lowest when we've tried all the treatments and we've tried all the things we can do and we just know I'm going to lose this battle. What will that moment be like? And I think it might be a lot like this, where Mary was at her lowest and all she could do was weep. And maybe when we breathe our last, we will feel that way. But when we look up, when we look up, Jesus, the source of our life, will be there to greet us, to welcome us, the one who has an indestructible life and has power to restore will be there to make us alive and to, and to be with him forever. Let me conclude with reading a passage from the very end of the Bible, kind of the end of the story. It's from Revelation chapter 21. He says this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, that's Jesus. He says, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Write this down. Our worship team is going to bring us a song that captures much of this story, uh, how Mary's tears turn to joy in a moment. And the Lord, can tear, the Lord can turn our tears into joy in a moment. Will you turn to him? Will you cry out to him for that help? And then will you respond like Mary did with, with full devotion? from your heart. I hope you'll consider that as they come and sing.
huge difference it makes when we gather together. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father God, we are so in awe of you. We're so in awe of what you've done through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And today's message was so beautiful about the kind of relationship and the love and the worship and what it is, Lord, that you desire from us. It was so evident in Mary Magdalene. May we be those kinds of disciples, those kinds of lovers of our, of our Savior and our God and our King. We ask, Lord, that as we go, you would protect us, that you would provide for us, that you would prepare a way for us. And may we take everything, Lord, all the light and the love and the kindness and the truth that we've learned here today and that we spread it to those around us. We're grateful. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.